0: Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. And I am really excited to welcome onto the show, Rebecca Reed. Welcome. Hello, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, for those that don't know Rebecca, she's founder of Siendo, which is a mental health and wellbeing trainer. She's a speaker and advocate for mental health. She launched Siendo to give people the knowledge, tools, and confidence. They need to support their own well-being at every stage of their lives. And Rebecca delivers mental health first aid and suicide first aid training, workplace mindfulness training, and she offers a wide range of well-being talks to organisations of all sizes. And I know we connected because you helped deliver one of the mental health first aid courses that I went to. So thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk about the topic we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so before we start, I'd love to know what you're passionate about in life right now.
1: Oh, it's actually really nicely linked because obviously, you know are, I'm on the here to talk about maternal mental health and everything related. and I have a six-month-old little boy very mm-hmm. passionate about becoming a mummy and navigating that in the world of having my own business, in the world of, you know bringing that into everything I do. As um, in my role, so I'm. I'm. My passion now is helping, really helping parents to navigate and um, their mental health, but also really like work with mums and see how we can support our well-being better as well.
0: Yeah, do you know I love that because I don't think we give enough credence to mums or parents generally as yeah. to the impact that having children has on your mental health and well-being, and nothing yeah. can honestly prepare you for having a child. No. So. Oh. I think a lot more support is needed in that space, because we're all we all seem to be firefighting, don't we often, certainly yeah. in the first first well you're six months in, but first year it was for me or two years is mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. a survival rather than anything else. so I think it doesn't it doesn't
1: get out it doesn't get easier. it just changes, doesn't it? So each time you kind of hit with a different challenge and you just have to like work your way through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think for me personally, with a I have a three and a half year old now every day, certainly in the last year I wake up with a new child. And you and, and you never because they develop so fast, you never really know what what person's gonna greet you in the morning. It's a nice in the morning. Person. <laughs> so um before we dive into your story and your journeys to where you are today. I'd I'd love to know for you what does optimal brain health mean for you personally in the context of your life's journey
1: okay optimal brain health okay so that it's you know, there's so much included in mental health and brain health in general like you know we I'm not going to I don't think I'll pull on the fact that how interconnected physical mental health are because that's so like, you know, a lot of us understand that now. One thing that pops into my head when you say it is all around your own self-worth. Like, I'm a big, big believer of having this real strong foundation of self-worth, which you know that whatever happens in life, you will find a way through. And when you have that really, really strong foundation, you can build upon it. So you can build, you know, better practices that support your well-being uh, and like both physical and mental. You can communicate more clearly around to people. You can you can be confident around how you're feeling and your emotions and communicating them. You know, all this stuff really does build upon a really strong sense of like self-worth and self-esteem and everything. Mm-hmm. That that's what pulls me when you say that.
0: Yeah. Do you know I think that's such an important one because we often don't think about self-worth in the context of the relationship we have with ourselves and it's kind of fundamental to the relationship we we, we have with us because it's the longest relationship we'll ever have is the one we have with ourselves and if we don't take the time to look at how much we value ourselves in the context of self-worth and what stories we're telling ourselves Mm -hmm. um, we're really not going to be having that great relationship with us yeah
1: and I know it's
0: so you know we're in the I know we're going to talk about parenthood but in the context of being a new mum it's so easy isn't it to diminish your self-worth and think that you're not good enough (laughs) (laughs) because you're so new to the to the job and nobody gives you a job specification and no nobody gives you job training
1: Yeah, (laughs) and and the
0: difficulty is that you're
1: surrounded, especially like you go to baby groups, you do all stuff. You're surrounded by so many other new mums with so many babies that are so different, and the amount of comparison that then comes in. And if you maybe your child is not doing the same things as another child, you start reflecting on your own self as a parent. And so, like if you if you haven't got that kind of level of self worth, that I am doing a good job and doing the best I can at the moment and that the comparison side of things can really eat you alive
0: absolutely and you know what I really I really found fascinating just in the context of my journey Mm. was how much we don't educate parents in how to become a parent
1: yeah and so
0: our you know even you know when I, I picked up books around um, becoming a parent, and I can't remember the name of the book, but it's a classic one, but there yeah. wasn't much mentioned in about nurturing your child through pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, which I, I'm, I find fascinating, and also nurturing yourself yeah. in, in terms of that self-care. It's very much kind of methodical, um, practical. Steps. how your baby develops. Mm. and less amount uh, less about the self-care and how we can care for our children as well as we're growing them so i'd love to dive into this conversation with you so could you just take us on your journeys to where you where you've been and what led you to to where we are today and to becoming a mental health advocate
1: oh gosh so i've i've worked in um, mental health for quite a while now and I originally came into this world well I had a lot of um a difficult childhood um but I spent quite a few years basically trying to repair a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff that was there for me and that got me I fell in love through um like it was therapy and coaching like I'm a massive fan of those and Mm -hmm. started doing that myself and then I started wanting to share it with other people Mm -hmm. and so I trained as a coach and, and I was training people in like in both the work setting and personally through stress and burnout and everything related and I then got into the kind of more into the world niche world of mental health because a lot of people that were coming to me with mental health or for coaching, they coming to me with mental health stuff, and so you can't separate the two. You can't just look at how you know how someone can go towards their goals. It's so interrelated with their well-being and their mental health. And so I felt so out of my depth. So I started. I was like, I don't know how to deal with all this. And even though I've grown up like not personal experience around it with family with myself, I still didn't really understand how to deal with it properly in the professional setting. Yeah. And so I then um, I started moonlighting as a mental health support worker. So I'd be working in the bank Monday to Friday, and then working as a support worker on the weekends, which was very, very intense. And that was what made me shift into the work I do now. Because time and time again, I was working on the wards, I was looking at people's files when um, supporting them, and so many points along the way, I was noticing that the ball had been dropped in some ways. So they hadn't had the right amount of support from you know whether it was you know NHS, whether it was family, whether it was friends, whether it was school, whatever it was, there were so many points along their way in their journey that something could have been done. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, for whatever reason it wasn't. And so that made me wanna really go from the proactive side because I can't just, I'm not the kind of person that sits back and goes, right, okay, let's just maintain life as it is. Um, I'm the kind of person that wants to look at how we can boost it, how we can solve things, how we can help things to improve. And so that kind of really drew my attention then to mental health first aid, which is where I then started training as an instructor to give people yes. skills. I did mindfulness and meditation training because I'm a big fan of that. That's amazing for your well-being. And I started training all these different areas until I finally leaped out of um, the corporate world and into my own business. And, and we came across each other, obviously, doing our training yeah. here, and then um <laughs> Obviously you reached out to me on LinkedIn then because you saw my my first ever personal post on LinkedIn where I um it was breastfeeding week. It was. And I, as a new mum, I was really frustrated by seeing how many posts there were about breast is best. You can do it, just hold on. And I that kind of really frustrated me at that point. So um I did a little post about how the fact that, you know, it's is so much more to that. And started talking very briefly about my experience of breastfeeding and my experience of post depression, which a lot of people don't know about um, in general as, as a term. And then that's how we came to came to meet each other. Didn't we?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I've, I I think it's so important that we bring this topic to the fore because it's something that's not really discussed very often. Yeah. Um, and it's so hard for some mums, isn't it? That, you know, that, that initial desire to go into uh you know you have your new baby and to be able to do what you had set your mind to do it's it's the same as you know when you have your birthing plan (laughs) (laughs) and you put together (laughs) this birthing plan and you have this fantasy what in essence what it is about how you want your birthing experience to go yeah and what you want to happen when and the reality is so very different And you're not really prepared necessarily for that reality, nor the reality post post giving birth Mm -hmm. Uh, and the and the emotional um, roller coaster that you go on um, as a consequence of obviously your hormonal shift that happens when you give birth um, and the crash that can happen quite heavily for some people um, as they plummet back down to not being pregnant again. Mm So, so before we dive into that, I really want to, I want to acknowledge this, what you've just mentioned um, earlier is the fact that you can't separate coaching and people's past trauma, because you have to look at the person. And I certainly found that for myself is that when you're focusing on coaching, which tends to be forward looking. If somebody is has got problems with their past and often it can be go back to their childhood, which you kindly mentioned from yourself and I have childhood trauma as well, is that you can't run forward in life if you're bungee cord, you know you have a bungee cord uh, wrapped around you that ties you back to your past because it doesn't matter how hard you run or how fast you run, you'll, you'll constantly be pulled back and held back by those past experiences. So I think, and, and it's particularly from a coaching perspective, I don't know if you found this, and I, um, is that it's very easy if you're not equipped as a coach to open up what well, I think I'm going to call it the mental health Pandora's box,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> where where you, where you touch on a nerve or you touch on a past trauma that maybe somebody hasn't been able to articulate or talk about. Um, And it can and it can send and, you know, result in an emotional outburst Mm -hmm. um, that you as a coach don't have the tools or techniques to deal with. Yeah. And so it's so important that I think when you're coaching is to be aware of that. And also um, as a client is to find the right coach for you or the right um, support network for you that is going to look at all of you. Yeah. And make sure that you don't, you don't, A, nothing falls between the cracks and B, that you don't, you don't end up uh, being overwhelmed or having, having a release that you weren't expecting to have and, and you don't have the facility to, to calm it down. Is, is that your experience from people?
1: Yeah, yeah, massively. like uh, I think, as a, I think there are many coaches without mental health experience, mm-hmm. which is you know, it's OK. You don't have to be a mental health professional to be a coach, but it's being at least, you know, even if you can't deal with it yourself and something arises for one of your coaches, being able to go, oh, recognize it. This is this has come up. This is maybe out of my realm of skills, but I can, you know, like discuss it with them see what support is available and then signpost them on to get the right support maybe they need to deal with it so I think it's yeah rather than like like you said opening this Pandora's box not knowing what to do with it and then trying to shut it and not actually um, (laughs) not being able to do that successfully so yeah I agree and I've in I've coached for a few years quite a few years now and I've never come across a session where Mental health distress, or even just natural range of human emotion, isn't triggered during sessions, and you have to be able to navigate that for their safety as well as your own.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I'd love to know for you when your Pandora's box was opened in the context of your uh, experience from pregnancy and becoming a mum, because you mentioned. Um, post-weaning depression so I'd love to know how if you're willing to share your story of, of your pregnancy journey and how, how it evolved for, for you personally
1: yes okay so this uh, as a little prefix uh, this is the first time I've spoken openly and uh, publicly about it so um, if I find if I um, struggle to find my descriptive words <laughs> that's why but so my journey so I I got um pregnant quite quickly and I was running my obviously my own business didn't really um wasn't didn't pre- I wasn't prepared for the amount of impact just the pregnancy journey would have on me so for the first three months which is obviously the period that you can't tell any well you generally advise not to say anything to anyone about um when I was when I was pregnant I was horrendously sick and and Feeling awful and in between I'd be running my my um, mental health first aid courses and workshops online in between them I was like napping on the couch and I remember like one oh, time um, I had in between sessions so there was a whole day session and I um, had this awful fatigue from the pregnancy and in between this, I think it was like that two hour gap between the two sessions I went for a nap and um, in between completely passed out my husband luckily working from home came up and was like Becca, <laughs> Becca, you've got a session. And I literally had to run downstairs two minutes before the session <laughs> and then go, hello, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> I and you it just you not you're not prepared for the impact life can't stop mm-hmm. when you're when you're going through a really a period of your life where you need life to stop a little bit. Mm. And it's totally different for everyone. Some people kind of steam through the first three months, but for me personally, it was it was really, really exhausting and and I felt very ill. Mm-hmm. Then the second trimester was quite nice. Well, first, go back to the first. One of the things I really struggled with, not being a um, a person who's always craved children. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've always been such a career-focused woman. And a couple of my friends said to me that they were quite surprised that I was even having children. <laughs> because was, They were like, I've always just thought, you know, you, my business was always my baby. Um, That was a huge adjustment for me, moving from actually my business being my priority to myself and my baby, my growing baby being my priority. And I remember um, I've got a business coach and I remember, which is awful to, I hate saying out loud, but I remember saying to him, I really started to dislike this thing because it was making me um, feel so bad and it was really getting in the way of everything I'd identified with before uh-huh. of I thought I was um, and so it took me a couple of months to really actually grow to like what was happening to me as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I moved it sounds, into- like,
0: you did, it sounds like acceptance because obviously you became quick you became pregnant really quickly which can happen for so many women can't it Mm -hmm. to take you completely by surprise and when you're not expecting anything to happen um there is this kind of period which could be the whole pregnancy or or part of it of accepting that you are pregnant and you are going to become a mum um and and the the mental acceptance of it um is very different to your physical acceptance, because your body just goes <laughs> what it's supposed to do. Um, but mentally, it can be really challenging, can't it?
1: Oh, yeah, massively,
0: especially like if you're a, you're an active person,
1: you do lots of different things, and suddenly you have to be careful about what you're eating, what you're doing. like I had um my hen weekend while I was pregnant as well, and it was all set up for me to do paddle boarding and all this active stuff, and suddenly I couldn't do it and everything everything you have to make such a big adjustment so quickly, and you know your your identity completely has to shift. From the you know from the minute you get pregnant, you start shifting, and it's yeah, it's really really difficult and then there's I, I i had prepared in my head when forecasting for my business I had prepared for my last three months of pregnancy to be quite slow, so I thought right, okay, this is where I'm gonna take in freelance trainers so they can help run the training for me. I was imagining that I wasn't be able to do very much, I didn't plan for the first three months to be like that, so it was like another double whammy. And um, but then the second trimester, luckily, and I've heard quite a few women say
0: it, I was in my flow by that
1: point. You know, I was. Yeah. I Your was body happy. got
0: used to being pregnant. Exactly. As much. But all as my normal surge had come to a sort of slow surge. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And so I was like, I was feeling a bit better. I was feeling more motivated, more driven. Like yeah. Even though the sickness was still like hovering, it was manageable. And so I was starting to like really like my growing body, and everything started shifting that point. And then obviously my third trimester it was more kind of around, Oh God, I'm going to have to give birth to a baby. And, the impact on my business so I'm like right okay preparing to step away from my business when am I going to step away obviously self-employed you don't have the joy of maternity leave and so it was making sure that I was still keeping my um communication with my clients like navigating how I was going to continue to earn money like all this stuff so it was a lot of organization and planning in the um last trimester which luckily I love to plan so um, that was quite fun But But
0: um, it's stressful though, you know, in context of running your own business, Mm -hmm. which I obviously do as well, um, Mm -hmm. it's hugely stressful knowing what's going to, because you don't, it's completely unknown, isn't it? You don't know what you don't know. (laughs) It's very hard to plan exactly what's going to happen in the future. And I know for me, certainly, I was kind of blissfully thinking that life could just go on and I would manage the baby around life not yeah, yeah. around the baby which
1: yeah is not... <laughs> but you don't know that people people try and warn you don't they but you don't you can't possibly understand what they say when you're they say your life will completely change and shift and you can't grasp what they mean until you go through it
0: yeah no you can't and it doesn't matter what anybody tells you uh you, you just have to experience it. It's like it's like telling you you need to swim and and then somebody throwing you in the deep water and then you have to learn for yourself
1: very quickly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I'd love to I'd love to go into your last trimester Mm. because I'd like to share my experience too. But I'd love to hear yours because they're so different for everybody. But it's it. it, It's so hard. I found it so hard. So how did it transpire for you in the last trimester? in terms of how of your pregnancy and everything r- running up to the birthing experience oh gosh so um
1: well, I'm. I made a monster of a baby. <laughs> so he was. Um. He was so big. They actually tested me for gestational diabetes because they thought wow. well, it was that, but it wasn't. He was just a. He was a big boy. But um. I. I am really tall. I am quite broad. My husband is tall and broad. So we were mm-hmm. always going to create a giant. Mm-hmm. And um. So yeah. So I was. I was very large. And mm-hmm. um. It was. You know. It was painful and achy and stuff um the pregnancy like the birth itself quite it happened well to be fair I didn't it wasn't the worst trimester um everyone says your third tends to be the worst and I still think my first was the worst um I didn't mind it so much I just like you know went for a few walks things like that trying to mm-hmm. keep, Quite low. I had a massage every two weeks. <laughs> Did you? That's a brilliant idea. didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I do think I have uh, my baby is that one of the most calmest babies I've ever known, and um, he. I do think because I meditated throughout several times yeah. a day. I had a massage every two weeks. Um, I one to keep my immune system going, but mm. also like to help with the aches and pains and everything else. Mm-hmm. I do think the, because of the way I treated myself and my body and the self-care stuff I did I do think it had a bit of an impact on his I don't know his just the way he is now as a child as well
0: it absolutely does and I don't think we take take pay enough attention to how we care for ourselves affects how our baby um uh, you know comes into the world because all of our hormones all of the cortisol all of the any hormones that we generate throughout our or, or neurotransmitters that we generate throughout our pregnancy will all get passed on to the baby because they, they respond to your stresses or lack of stresses. Yeah. Um, and so the the more calm you can be,
1: mm.
0: and the more you can balance your immune system, the more you can balance your nutrition and, and, and optimize your nutrition, really, for you, the the better it will be for your baby. And I know recent studies is that. Um, before a baby is born, they've looked at um, toxins that go through the umbilical cord. There's over two hundred and forty toxins a baby is born with. Um, because as a mum, which I didn't know, um, we detoxify ourselves through our babies. Um, and, and so all any toxins that you gather as a over your life period, you will pass on to your baby through the umbilical cord. So, and all of the food type groups, all the food groups that you choose to consume will ultimately influence your baby's choice of food groups. So, and I had no idea about this when I was, um, you know, when I first became pregnant, but it's really important that you give your, to give your baby the best chance Mm -hmm. at the beginning, you want to give yourself the best diet And and the best uh, environment, you know, in terms of stress levels and everything before before the baby is born to give them to give them that uh, ultimate opportunity in life. So and I don't think, you know, obviously from the meditation, naturally, you would be um, activating your uh, parasympathetic nervous system, which is your calming system in your in your body and mind and that would naturally be calming your child. But conversely, super stressed parents will be Mm. activating the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight. So your baby's much more likely when they're born to be stressed and tense and and have an overactive brain in in the areas of the brain that are associated with fight or flight because they've been given um the the neurotransmitters that make their brain go into that state so it's really important that we we consider that so thank you for sharing that and I know for me personally during um I was very focused on nutrition and supplementation and 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 getting the right supplements and I was very lucky with my pregnancy up until the um 12 days late period (laughs) when my when my daughter decided she didn't actually want to make an appearance so um, so how did it how did it transpire for you um you know from a birthing experience as well
1: oh gosh I won't go into too much (laughs) detail so (laughs) just in case but yes um luckily like thankfully he was only a day overdue and I had a couple of friends who were twelve days, fourteen days. It was a quite long day, and it is it is huge, isn't it? Because it really does eat away at you. You Not, just want the baby out. You just want it done, don't you? Um, but no, he was only a day overdue. He um, um he was due on a Saturday. He came Sunday. Well, he the, my waters broke Sunday morning at seven a.m. So, um, quite close to time. But the probably the most traumatic part about that was the fact that at seven o'clock my waters broke at seven and um, it had meconium mar- in the water so obviously like oh. a little poo in the womb and um so it becomes all oh, my birthing plan at that point out the window <laughs> <laughs> to go into hospital rather than have a nice water birth and um and yeah so yeah, but i started at yeah started at seven o'clock by twenty past seven my contractions were already two to three minutes apart wow. and that's when you go into active labor isn't it and and so I went so quickly into active labor I am um, at that point I started vomiting like everywhere wow. I started sh- my whole body started shaking I was like going from contraction vomit shake like going down this- my poor husband in the car like I was there with this bucket <laughs> he's he's like driving 40 minutes to the hospital while I'm just uh, yeah going wild in the passenger seat but um yeah, know good he, he managed it very well but yeah I got into the hospital and i and it happened very quickly i think they, they they i spent two hours in like this holding room while they sorted out a birthing center for me and i was like please give me pain please give me pain medicines i need it and <laughs> um, but in in those two hours i went to eight centimeters dilated and they didn't wow i moved really really fast um but then the net I ended up spending I think four hours then at eight centimeters because there was a like a bubble of water that was stopping it um so if if it had been I think by that point we were so tired me and the baby and they had to help me get him out with forceps so it ended up being like quite stressful in the end but if that is if that bubble hadn't been there I think it would I probably would have had him in like two and a half hours (laughs) like it was it was intense very, very quickly. Um, but it was, to be fair, like my husband was incredible. Like I was very lucky to have him there like the whole whole time. Um, he, he was, yeah, he really, really stepped up, which was amazing. Um, I, um, interestingly say when women go through labor, they go multiple different ways. And they say some women go super internal and they just go very, very quiet. And I did, I just went, completely in on myself like I just I just stood there with the gas and air I just couldn't speak I couldn't like do anything I just just had to like work through it and it was um yeah it was ridiculous but <laughs> I when yeah I, it's funny because most people say that oh I can't remember the pain anymore like it's a bit of a, of a fog um I can remember it in very much detail like like the detail is very much there like it hasn't faded at all but um but yeah I think the whole process made me a lot more um I suppose resilient in the sense of I know how much I can handle now the fact Mm -hmm. I made it through that situation. I remember going for a run after about like eight weeks or something and no, and I hadn't run in ages and normally when I got to that exhaustion point I would stop. But I I literally said to myself, You've given birth, you could do this. And I used that as my motivation to keep running. And it really did because I suddenly it opened my mind to the fact that if I can do that, I can do anything. Like I think that's the most ridiculously hard thing that anyone like one of the things that anyone can go through.
0: Yeah, and, and I had a very, and I had an incredibly different birthing experience because I never went into labour. I didn't even dilate beyond three centimetres, and that was induced. So I was, I was in, I had pessaries to try and induce the labour, and that was over two days. And then, and then I was induced intravenously for pretty much twelve hours. Um, before they decided they had to break forcibly break my waters, which was horrifically painful mm-hmm. um and I had to get a doctor to do it because the um the midwife couldn't do it um and then and then I ended up with a c-section because she 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 wasn't she wasn't coming out um, and I and, and you know everybody has this huge span of experiences in between don't they from super simple and easy to to horrendous horrendously complicated but I think you know that and I totally agree with you is it you realize how resilient you are when you go through that experience and what you can handle um and I I think that was one defining moment for me too is is you know knowing I've got this and you know how far you can push yourself and where your limits are and they're far beyond what we ever maybe thought we were capable of so God,
1: yeah and you and you hear it don't you thank you for sharing that like you can hear it don't you where people say "I like during birth I can't do this I can't do this I can't do this and I I remember literally beforehand going I can do this and then as soon as it kicked in I was like I can't do this I can't do this again. and they're like yes you can and I was like yeah <laughs> and my, I remember my mum saying to me like when you start to feel like you can't do it that's when you're near and and i'm trying to like play that in my head of i must be near i must be near (laughs) it's 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 ridiculous isn't it i've never known anything never known anything like it
0: yeah and i i remember when i did it was i did positive hypnotherapy um a course beforehand which was to help with the breathing and everything to try and control my breathing which for me being induced and I i don't have any frame of reference other than being induced mm. um, is it's a very sharp um, rise in terms of the the surges that you experience mm. and so it was completely um, you know <laughs> super helpful for me personally because I don't think I would have been able to have, have tolerated it for as, <laughs> as long as I did before I ended up reaching for gas and air and then having an epidural um without having having had the training beforehand to to help yeah. me through the through that birthing process
1: that's interesting there's quite a few
0: um girl uh, women
1: i knew that used that um and they, some of them said it was actually really helpful it's yeah i think, I think the breath any breath work you can do oh yeah it's just yeah it's and it, and sometimes it goes straight out the window because you're like i can't think of anything else but if you have like you said if you have got that in the background and that can help a little bit can it
0: yeah it can certainly and and so let's dive into the into the experience that you had post post birth uh, and and the real sort of uh, topic of discussion for today is is the experiences that you had following uh, giving birth and how how that changed your trajectory
1: gosh yeah
0: um
1: okay so after birth i i feel it was it was quite surreal naturally, you know, you're going, you're going home. You, well, I've stayed in the hospital overnight. I'm on my own with him. You're dealing with all that. The first couple of days after, you know, apart from being absolutely physically and, and, you know, battered with being tired and everything, it was all right. You know, even my, um, you know, the five day blues where you had mm-hmm. that slump of hormones after pregnancy, even that was quite mild for me. And I kind of had a day where it was a bit like, little bit emotional but then off I went and everything was fine again and um I I think I still struggled with having a baby and the impact on my work and then navigating that and I was still adjusting to that identity shift Mm -hmm. um and I remember crying like a few times when people asked me about my work and everything like that, because I was like, I miss it so much. And <laughs> I felt really awful that I couldn't, you know, I, I was feeling that way, that I was missing my work when I had this like beautiful boy in front of me. Yeah. And um, and then that obviously didn't help because I obviously had that guilt about wanting to work, but also being a mum,
0: all that stuff coming. in. But it's tied into your identity. I think it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, what we do what gives us passion and makes us feel purposeful in life is very much part of our identity. And this yeah. is kind of like this spiritual well-being part of us. And, and when we go through a, a tectonic shift in, yeah. in the core of ide- our identity, when we're going from, a, you know, one identity that we're super passionate and we, we find super purposeful every day, yeah. and you've literally have had to turn the tap off and switch yeah. identity it can be really really hard yeah and i don't think we give ourselves enough credence to the fact that how hard it can be for 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 women and parents just in general yeah
1: yeah, honestly, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like, I think, like you're talking about the training of like, you know, people, parents don't get any like that support about how to be in themselves and that practical kind of step by step kind of stuff. You know, even just help in how to work with the shifting identity, like, mm-hmm. that itself would be incredibly valuable. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's huge. And I remember like the, and, and with the difficulty with your own business, like, you know, like you can't just step away. I think you know, with maternity leave, when you're employed, even that shift of identity is huge. Mm. Um, not, and like underplaying that at all, is the difficulty I found is that I wasn't able just to turn off my emails. I wasn't able, you know, I think I gave, yeah, I, I, learned, I gave birth on the Sunday, but then I had to send some emails because a client was waiting for some dates. And I was, I was sending emails on Tuesday, but I couldn't sit down at my desk because of my stitches, because I had a, a pisiotomy thingy, I can never say it, mm-hmm. uh, physiotomy, and then um, I was on my knees by my desk sending emails, like, in between, like, every, every time he would be closing his eyes, I'd be trying to find, like, time, and so you just, you can't, you don't have the time, I didn't have to give myself the time to shift properly either, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was really different, and then the problems that I, like, kind of, I suppose, arose for me were, um, all related, like we said, around breastfeeding. So, I again, a, a massive myth that is mm-hmm. out there that breastfeeding is natural and blah 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 blah. And um, you, you expect it to be a lot easier than it is. And but if you think about it, you've never done it before, so you have to no. learn. But the baby doesn't know either. And that's no, exactly. How, like they don't tell you really that in that much detail that the baby has to learn how to feed. Yeah, and it was, and obviously, there's multiple different
0: reasons why sometimes they can't latch. Your
1: tongue ties aren't always identified.
0: There's so Yeah, much that more. was a common one for some of the girls in my NCT um, group where that was missed.
1: Yeah, massively. And, you know, in the NCT group, I had that it spent the whole day talking about breastfeeding, but mm-hmm. not once was post weaning depression mentioned. Not mm-hmm. like all this side of things wasn't discussed. And, um I remember I was I was breastfed for um, quite a few weeks and found it difficult to produce as much milk as I needed to. Mm-hmm. He was feeding a lot like he's a big boy mm-hmm. and um I remember then trying to add in one formula feed to try and bolster up his feeding mm-hmm. I just to keep up and then naturally then, because I wasn't pumping as much, my flow is slowed
0: down reduced.
1: And it was just it came became that I needed to feed in more formula because and my flow was even like and so it came this kind of full circle and I was I was either I was in this kind of cycle which I know a lot of mothers are of, like feeding pumping feeding pumping and just, you just you do feel like you're milking cow like it's you're, you're like you know you're you just lose your identity as a as a woman as a person
0: yeah I can completely relate to that because um, although I I was um able to breastfeed but this feeling of pu- or the pumping piece is is incredibly um difficult because you d- you literally feel like a cow don't you like you're at a milking parlor <laughs> uh, and i had to do so when when um covid happened i was supporting covid um from a military perspective and my husband had to look after m- my daughter but i was still breastfeeding so i'd have to pump to feed her, and she'd have to take a milk bo- a bottle, which of breast milk, which she didn't, which she hated doing. So it was super stressful for him. But I still had to keep pumping, otherwise, milk supply would run up, run out. So it's 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 an unpleasant experience. And it and it hurts
1: sometimes. Like breastfeeding, like it's not like you know, it's not smooth going, is it? Like you know, my I'm my um my baby and um, I've Joel, he is he is the strongest suck known to man. Like, in you're trying to get a dummy out of his mouth, you have to put your your fingers around the back of the dummy and pull it out because he holds on to it so tightly. Um, it's imp- it's impossible. And so, like, yeah. it wasn't it. Wasn't, oh, alongside of that whole pumping, like you said, going in that cycle constantly, it's something really really painful. Like the yeah. one time I was, um, I remember I was feeding Joel, my husband was coming through the door and. He came in and I couldn't even speak I was literally like while he was feeding because it was so painful I couldn't talk I couldn't breathe properly it was it was it was really it's not it wasn't enjoyable yeah but then you get that hold that pressure you know because not only do you have that pressure around everything you do during a pregnancy impacts the baby you know, everything that you do you know you're 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 solely responsible for bringing a healthy life into the world And that weight is really hard, and so not then you kind of almost like I remember saying to my friends, I'm looking forward to him not just giving birth just so he's not my sole responsibility anymore. Mm -hmm. That was really hard to carry that weight of everything I eat, everything I do do I sleep enough? Everything is impacting him, Mm -hmm. and then you get obviously he's born, and then you've got that weight that continues, which I didn't kind of. Expect as much around. Are you breastfeeding him enough? Is your the, the quality of your milk good enough? Does it have enough layer of fat on top? Like you know, are you eating well? Because that's going through to the breast milk. Like it just continues, and so you carry this. You carry this massive weight with you, and it's that obviously then that stress impacts your milk as well. So there's there's so much in there anyway. So like my um my milk supply started slowing down a mm-hmm. lot. Um ended up I think around week seven or eight shifting to fully formula fed but because of my milk slowing down so quickly I stopped breastfeeding in the space of a week Wow! And when you look at any of the advice like you know like you have to drop feed slowly because you have to mm-hmm. and the the reason being is that again like you know it's not massively explained but the reason being is that when you're breastfeeding, like you'll know, there's multiple hormones, isn't there? So you've got yeah. prolactin, which keeps you calm. You know, keeps you like really, really, really helpful for your mental health. Then you've got an um, estrogen levels, They're quite nice, good level, aren't they? They're quite high. Yeah. And then you've got oxytocin, which helps you bond and connect, and it's also helps you reduce stress, and it helps you boost your immune system. Like it's oxytocin has a lot to play in your life, and so then that all just like Turned off. Yeah, <laughs> you suddenly just go, whoosh. and so suddenly someone turned t- your tap off. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> someone turned my tap off, and my pipe burst. Like it just, you know. And I was, I was fine for a couple of days, and um then I just, and and you know, I've you hear people talk about this with depression so much that cloud, that weight. Yeah, we really felt like I was just smothered in darkness. And I, I've had low mood before. I've had yes. it Experiences of you know I've had suicidal thoughts I've had all that experience before but even with my prior experience I, I never felt anything so out of my control yeah and it was I like my my husband would come and take the baby in the morning so I'd go back to sleep and I would just lie on my bed and just wail, I would just cry uncontrollably I couldn't like i would sit like you know I'd go upstairs I'd pop upstairs to grab something and then just sit on the floor and cry mm-hmm. like i i can't i just felt horrendous to the point that like when pre previously so i when my when I was younger I used to have thoughts of suicide, and um I remember when I gave birth to Joel saying to my husband. Now I have him. I could never ever imagine doing anything and taking my own life. Like I could mm-hmm. never do that to him now. Like I love him so fiercely that he, you know I just couldn't. And, and I and I said it as a kind of thing to him of, you can feel confident and safe now that I'll not do that. And it was a really big moment for me. Like uh, that never happened to me before, and suddenly it was never going to be an option again. Mm-hmm. And it was huge. And I. And then I remember sitting there once this, this post-weaning depression hit because I didn't know who it was. Um, my, you know, I was talking to my friends around it and my sister, my sister's been like like the rock throughout. And she was like, maybe you've got depression. Like, can you just talk to someone? And um, I remember sitting there and thinking, well, I can't think of my life anymore. So what am I gonna do? <laughs> like, it was like, almost like I was stuck in this, like, well, I can't leave, but this like, and, and I was literally thinking, well, if I had a heart attack, then that wouldn't be my fault. And so I will just drink a little bit of coffee, and that, like that, and that's not like my. I'm, I'm in such a good emotional mental state now. Mm-hmm. That's not where I exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, oh god, I, I just kept coming back, kept coming back, and I just couldn't. I couldn't get myself out of it. And I've got. Did, so- your, did your did your attachment to your child change? Yeah. Yeah. He would. When I first um had him. If yeah. he cried, I would feel literally eb BGB's in my body. Like, um if I wasn't with him, I'd be like, Oh, I can't do it. I'd be bouncing around. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't stop moving. And to the point that I'd be I'd go like my husband was holding him. I'd be like this. Give him to me, give him to me, give him to me. Yeah. And I'd reach him for him. And during this time he would cry and I'd like like i just stay on toilet a bit longer and even with my husband. Like, you know, I'd, it was not having the
0: same emotional effect on me at all. Yeah. And it wasn't... Your very... oxytocin would have absolutely depleted, so you didn't have that attachment. No. Um, no. Draw from a hormonal perspective. Yeah. So it's completely understandable.
1: Yeah, it's, and, it, and it's scary because you don't ever think... I had such a... Initial straight away without you know I used to cry when I was pregnant about how much I loved him already like you know and, and from the day dot I was just like you are me like you are part of me like you know I had such a strong connection even though in, instinctively I knew I would protect him to the ends like he was mine in the sense of like you know I would I I had like, I would protect him forever and always I had that awareness that he was mine and and i loved him and i would protect him Mm -hmm. i have that emotional Mm -hmm. in the moment connection Mm -hmm. if that makes sense
0: yeah totally and how did it make you feel you know from a parental perspective what would you be willing to dive into emotions because i know this could be a bit painful just as a warning before we do yeah what what do you mean in terms of how that make you so as a parent you know obviously you stop breastfeeding what what did you feel not enough did you did it you know we talked about self-worth at the beginning did it really impact your self-worth as a, a as a new mum yeah. um how, how did it how did it change you From you know because obviously you're going through an emotional shift um when your hormone hormones get uh, you know the tap gets turned off as you mm-hmm. stop breastfeeding what what were the sort of core emotions that were running through you at the time when that when that tap was turned off um, a lot of shame and a lot of guilt around that, and I think you know there was um,
1: within my NCT group, the mothers still breastfeeding. So again, that con- like comparison was in there, and they were the most supportive humans ever. Um, they I've met some incredible girls through that. So it was it was all internal. It was nothing coming from an external point. And my husband had no expectations about breastfeeding. He just wanted me to be happy. My 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 sister, saying That all my family members were like everyone had my back around it is it it was all internal it was you know me going I'm not giving him the right start the first time I gave him his first bottle of formula I felt like I was poisoning him and Mm. even though this formula is always incredible formula like I I picked the best one I picked organic I picked you know like I went I went uh, like I researched so much to find the one that was most helpful but still it wasn't my breast milk and I was still letting him down and you know in in my head and it was so much like you know partly from the the what they tell you about breast is best mm-hmm. and, and that you have to but also a lot of stuff whether that's internalized from that or not but yeah it it felt awful and I every time like the, the health visitor would come around and they would ask me if I if I spoke about it i feel guilt because not only was I not breastfeeding him but then I also you know was missing my work and like I'm like what kind of mother am I and it was just yeah it was it was really really hard and I I probably could still like up until recently if people spoke about breastfeeding I could probably still get quite teared up about it um but he's like growing so well like he's so healthy mm-hmm so strong and but I mean
0: I just want to point out to you on this is you know sometimes breast isn't best yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. you you your child would not have survived if yeah. you just focused on breast exactly. you know because it wasn't best for him yeah. and the fact that you you, you know you had you, you um took the step to feed him formula which was essential for his growth and, and longevity, is great, you know, because if you, I mean, we talk about breast is best, but if we're super stressed, breast yeah. isn't best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some, it, it's okay to give a child formula. It's totally okay because it because, you know, your body is telling you, the breast isn't best and go get formula. And that is totally okay. And and I don't think we necessarily um, give ourselves permission yeah. because your child needs to survive. So you'll yeah. do whatever is appropriate to ensure your child's survival. And it's okay if it's different to, you, you know, to uh, to Ruth or to anybody down the road because everybody's journey is different.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Ruth. That means a lot. And it is, you, you know, so many women need to hear that, don't they? And, you know, you're so right. And, and that's the thing, you know, if you're not eating well, if you're not, if you're stressed, you've got all those stress hormones, you know, there's there's so many reasons why that, you know, you, they might not be getting the support they need for the milk. And it's, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah it doesn't come down to that. And, you know, the, the it took me a long time to come to peace with that. And, you know, even when I hear, there's, the, there's still a bit of like, pang inside of me sometimes when I hear women were able to breastfeed so long but I, you know I I, I tried so, so many different ways like I you know I tried um oh, nipple protector things oh yeah <laughs> awful try and find those in the dark in your bed when they come off it's impossible. <laughs> um, I try. I tried going to a breastfeeding clinic I tried like so many different ways that it just, you know, yeah, like I said, it was just, it wasn't, it
0: wasn't right for us. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, and you know, people try to d- get pregnant in, in, the, in the natural way. And it isn't the right way for them. And, and they have to find alternative ways. And that is okay. You know, some of us may be runners, other people may, you know, uh, you know, may be good at swimming, we're all different. And we, we just have to find the right way that suits us and, and suits our family. Yeah. Um, And that's and that's what you did. So great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's doing well. And and after it probably took me maybe about four to five weeks to get through what uh, that experience. And that's relatively very short. That's really short.
0: So how did you get through it? What were the key steps that helped you get out of that cloud and out of the darkness and see the light at the end of the tunnel again?
1: Good question. So, the um, interestingly, so I, so, you know, I've got all this knowledge and experience around postnatal depression, and that's helped. Um, I wasn't aware of. I was. I was aware from my training that if you stop breastfeeding too quickly, um, and you can like trigger psychosis, you can trigger mental health um, crisis situations. Mm-hmm. But in my head, I didn't think. I felt that it was a quick thing so I thought well like a like a, like a quick dead stop or a weekend stop and um, in my head I was like well sure well well's we long enough then and I thought okay well there's nothing I can do about it but I thought wait that but that' would be long enough and I didn't think of like the depression side of things I yeah. thought more of a kind of crisis high crisis situation in terms of psychosis like so my yeah. kind of frame of reference around it was was just not there and I remember sitting, um, I was sitting in bed watching Working Mums, if you've ever seen it, Um, really great TV show. And uh, I remember them saying, and they were sitting around in a support group, and they were like, let's talk about post-weaning depression. And I was like, (sighs) and I started literally counting back and, and doing the calculations in my head. And I was like, that's it. It was my breastfeeding that did it. It was stopping breastfeeding that's caused this. Because um, obviously I was fine, but then I wasn't, and so I started um, researching loads around it. There's very, very little information. And so, post depression, for those who haven't heard it before, is literally because your breastfeeding stops, your hormones plummet, like we talked about, which triggers yeah. this depression, which is a form of postnatal depression, but it's yeah. kind of category, and so. You know, I I started researching. What I found more often than not was loads of blogs, loads of blogs of women who didn't have enough information out there, and so they started to record their own journey to help other women. And when I looked in the comments of these blogs, I found so many women that were saying, "Yes, I've been dealing with this for years. I've been," and all this, all these experiences were like years long. And I was like, "Wow, is it like this? Is you know, I'm going to be experiencing this for years?" and I um and since giving birth I had I had um reduced my meditation because I hadn't a time to go to the toilet, never mind meditate <laughs> with the baby. Um I had, you know, all my well-being practices I would usually do
0: to keep myself well dropped off the face of the earth. Which um, would have contributed potentially to to the plummet that you experienced because you weren't doing the top-up
1: yeah, <laughs> that you yeah. were used to doing. Yeah, and and it is you don't realise how much of an impact all those well-being practices have mm-hmm. yeah. do them. yeah and um, and so I started going right I like made a made one of my plans in my head and I thought right I'm on it and I may I started meditating again and I remember the first time I meditated I literally felt like I was surrounded in black and I was I felt this like real big weight and I was just like I'm just gonna sit with it I'm gonna carry on through and even though doesn't work for everyone so like you know sometimes you you know sitting with the uncomfortable feelings is not the right way yeah I I sat with it and it literally by the end of the meditation I felt like massively that had shifted and not the whole the whole cloud but how I felt in that moment and then um so I started meditating I started going back to the gym which has always been a massive coping skill for me Mm -hmm. Um, I was obviously talking to my sister, I had a really close friend who I met through NCT, Eliane, and she was such like a support rock for me that I was just talking to her all the time. And she's a trained mental health first aider as well, so she had all the skills, but um, she was really, really good for me. And um, yeah, I just started eating better. I I know for me, dairy and sugar are massive have a massive negative impact on my mental health, mm-hmm. and so I... I started reducing those. So I started doing all these things that I would naturally do before and bringing them back. Mm. And honestly, what I remember standing by the sink, washing some of his bottles and thinking, I think this cloud's starting to shift. And I literally could feel it leaving me. Um and it, you know, it took me a couple couple of weeks to really like embed these practices again. And um I remember looking at um, Joel and I'd started doing loads of like skin on skin again to try and boost Mm -hmm. that oxytocin level Um, I'd started watching loads of comedy shows to try and again the laughter to boost the oxytocin Mm -hmm. I'd start doing loads of little things to boost my oxytocin other than breastfeeding which I think really really helped and I remember looking at him on the change table and going you're mine and that was such a big moment when I suddenly realized I'd connected with him again. Mm-hmm. um yeah it was it was like luckily as well like it was you know many people don't have my husband was so like a, he was he was a rock throughout and he was gently tippy-toeing around me going you think you need to speak to someone <laughs> you know, like, so like he was like really good he was like there he was able to notice signs and he was really supportive and luckily working from home as well so he could you know if I needed to go for a quick nap or a poo or a shower he could take Joel off me whereas a lot of mothers don't have that when they're there yeah. all, on their own all day so I think the circumstances really helped in in my yeah. situation as well
0: well, oh, thank you for sharing that, and I just want to go through what you mentioned because I think it's really important for the audience listening, particularly if there are there are mums who are struggling with post weaning depression. Is that you mentioned initially? as you know we go back to self care, don't we? Which we really seem to put on hold when we, when we give birth, but it's so important um, in terms of of help helping ourselves to help help our children have that reconnection. And you you mentioned starting meditating again which is, you know, can be so helpful for people. Um, uh, and it's been shown on so many, many studies to facilitate your mental health and well-being um, to, to take that time to do the meditation. You mentioned going back to the gym, which is really important in, in terms of bu- boosting our neurotransmitters, BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which helps us build the connections in our brain and helps us build new brain cells. Um, and also boosts serotonin, and it will have effect on oxytocin and dopamine, which is motivation, um, motivational neurotransmitter. Um, so that was super brilliant. You talk to your sister and, and to friends. Really, really important for people if they feel they're able to is to talk about their how they're feeling, um, and to not bury those feelings inside of us because our body will keep score, which yes. is in essence what you, what was happening initially but to let them out. And, I, I it, you know, we have to think of our, we're, we're in an ocean of emotion <laughs> and we have to ride the waves of emotion. And it's important that we acknowledge that and don't try and pretend those waves aren't there, but to let those, let let, us, let them out and, and really ride them into shore. Eating better. So you mentioned dairy and sugar. So sugar can be, re- is in that pro-inflammatory for our brain and also for our gut, so if when we eat high volumes of sugar, it actually causes us inflammation in our brain, which can contribute to the brain fog, and it could have contributed to the brain fog you're experiencing, and also dairy. So there's two protagonists in terms of our brain function, which is dairy and gluten, and when dairy goes into our stomach, um, it creates a, a caseomorphin, um, and that goes into our c- c- goes across the blood-brain barrier, and it's like morphine. So it has the same effect as morphine in the brains of mm-hmm. some people can be really obvious for some people. And when we go through pregnancy, our brains change as females. Mm-hmm. So where we started at the beginning of pregnancy, our brains are so different at the end. So what we may be tolerant to at the beginning may be very different um, when, when we become actual mums. So, so, that could have contributed to the to the brain fog and the darkness that you were experiencing because you were, you were cutting off the tran- transmission that you had in your brain as a consequence of that. And then you mentioned um, starting with skin on skin to re, you know, reinvigorate the oxytocin um, that you were so missing and uh, and craving from from the experience. Watching comedy shows, as you mentioned, super helpful to boost your serotonin and your oxytocin. uh, And that really helped you connect with him again. So the reason I wanted to go through that is because we think often that talking in its own right is going to fix the problem. But actually, you have to look at lots of different ways, You, you, you know, and it's a step by step. Um, process in terms of changes that you may need to make to yourself and your whole um, you know from a self-care perspective Mm -hmm. and they all stack they all add up so so don't give up and and keep going if you're struggling um, you know as 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 you were Rebecca it's important that we we look at all options that are open to us and within our control um, rather than you know, which in some cases we can feel we're a victim of it, when actually we've got a huge amount of control over it. And so I'm really pleased that you were able to take that control in a way that worked for you. I'm conscious we're coming to the end of the show. What 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 one piece of advice would yeah, you give yeah. to anybody who is struggling with post what they may think is post-weaning depression? Yeah. And I would say massively,
1: it's really, what was really, really powerful, like you said, the holistic side of things. You have We have, our well-being is a lot more under our control than we often give ourselves credit for. Mm-hmm. And so it's having a look at that holistic side of things of what can I do for my physical health? What can I do for my, my relaxation? What can I do for my nutrition? Looking at all the sides of those things, but not forgetting, especially with post-weaning depression, oxytocin is something that we can boost mm-hmm. and we don't think about that and so there's so many different ways that we can boost our oxytocin whether it's stroking a pet
0: having a massage giving someone cuddle making evening is the thing that i do which is a oxytocin boost massaging your child yeah, exactly. Like,
1: you're staring at someone into their eyes. Like, there's this activity that you can do where you stare at your um, partner or someone you care about for five minutes in their eyes without saying anything. And as a creepy as it sounds, it can be really powerful to create connection and things like that. So, you know, making eye contact with your child, making eye contact with your partner, you know, your friends, really holding that, especially in this in this online world now where a lot of time we're not looking at our cameras. And so, you know, making sure that we're, we're containing that, we're, we're giving ourselves ourselves hugs as well, which I know sounds weird, but there's nothing better than a self hug sometimes that we need, and it's just remembering that there's a lot of things feel good music, think anything we can do to boost our serotonin, boost our oxytocin will help to replace that plunge that a lot of the time is um, happens because you've stopped breastfeeding, mm-hmm. and then you know naturally then you can start you building on that. Like you said, all these good well being practices and habits stack. And so, the more you can really look at it from a holistic point of view, then the better you will be, and the quicker the quicker you'll recover.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca, for sharing your story and and that story of hope because it is truly a story of hope that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel, um, and we you we or you depending on uh, your frame of reference of the power to find your way out. And if you can't find it find your way out yourself, then please do. Reach out to someone that can guide you like Rebecca has and, and, and show you the way. And with that in mind, Rebecca, how can people get hold of you?
1: Yeah, so anyone can reach me via my LinkedIn. So I'm Rebecca Reed. Used to be Rebecca Cheatham. Rebecca Reed on LinkedIn. You can reach me on my website. It's uk. Siendo is Spanish for being. So it's spelled S-I-E-N-D-O. And you can also email me as well if you want to just reach out. If you've got any experiences and you want like signposting towards support, anything like that, or just want to share your experiences, reach out to me on email and hello at siendo.co.uk as well.
0: Oh, well, Rebecca, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. It's been um such an enlightening conversation, and, and I'm so pleased you're able to share it and, and give hope to others. So so thank you. And everybody, remember. This show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain. You are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. And Rebecca has been here to show you how. Thanks, Ruth. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome.